Hello and welcome to the Truth For Doubt discussion series. I'm your host, Michael Badger, and this week we have with us Dr. Hal Poe, who is the Charles Colson Professor of Faith and Culture at Union University. Dr. Poe is unbelievably intelligent. He has written over 17 books, has published over 200 articles and reviews, and just some of his works include The Gospel and Its Meaning, What God Knows, and See No Evil, The Existence of Sin in an Age of Relativism. And if that isn't enough for you, Dr. Poe is also a relative of Edgar Allan Poe and is an expert on all of his writings, and not only Edgar Allan Poe's writings, but also his faith journey as well, which is one of our topics of discussion. So I hope that you enjoy this discussion and that you are able to take something away from it that can help you talk with your unbelieving friends. I hope you enjoy. Dr. Halpo, I, I've thanked you 14 times, I think, so far for coming here, but thank you again so much for uh, for being a part of this. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Dr. Poe works at Union University, and can you give your, your title? I'm the Charles Colson Professor of Faith and Culture Got at it. Union. That's a, that's a mouthful. So what, what does that exactly mean? What is the Charles Colson... Uh, th- what I primarily work on is how the gospel answers uh, the deepest questions of every mm-hmm. heart and every culture. Right. And so it's, um, it is really an exploration all across uh, cultures of how the, the gospel is the answer to the, to the uh, yearnings of people. Right. Wow. Yeah, I think that um, it seems that in, in our culture especially, well, I'm sure it's you know, kind of universal. You see people who are just constantly having that struggle of finding meaning in life. And I think that we live in like this post-Christian culture that's constantly saying, well, there's there's no one meaning. There's no overarching meta-narrative. And that kind of just leaves people in this kind of floating around in this milieu of meaninglessness. And, and the answer is the gospel. Yes. And the, over time, over the last 2,000 years, different people in different cultures and different places, different times, um, have found answers to their deepest questions, and the, the questions change over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the gospel doesn't change, and miraculously, and we, we really are talking about something supernatural here, mm-hmm. uh, miraculously, the, the gospel, which hasn't changed, still answers questions in very complicated cultures. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. So were there any particular questions that, that you had that the gospel was able to answer when you came to faith? Oh, when I was uh, a little boy, I was a typical American. And in our culture, uh, the biggest question for several hundred years has been, um, how am I relieved of the guilt of sin? Right. And so that was my, my big issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I had become a dreadful sinner by the time I was eight. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> yeah. um and I wanted to know that I was going to go to heaven when I died. Right. And uh, my pastor um, uh, helped me understand what I had already learned. By the time I was eight, having grown up in church, I knew all the stories mm-hmm. in the Bible. And I knew who Jesus was. But um, that morning that I sat down and talked with him, he helped me understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he died to take me to heaven. He died to take away my sin so that I could be with him Mm -hmm. in heaven. And 
it all made sense then because mm-hmm. I, I knew all the stories. Now, in our culture today, very few Americans know the Bible. Mm-hmm. Very few Americans know who Jesus is, what he did. And so um, for many uh, Americans today, uh, the question is, what kind of God exists? Right. So that's a big question a lot a lot of folks have. Mm-hmm. Um, for others, it's what's so special about the Bible. Every religion has its holy book. So why is the Bible different from any other book? Right. And so that's a, that's a deep question. And all of these questions are answered internally in the Bible. So, yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, it's it's a matter of listening for the question. Mm-hmm. so that you can give the answer. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, actually, you kind of hit on something that I want to talk about a little bit later when it comes to you know what makes the Bible so different. Um, but before we get into that, uh, my heritage, my ancestry, I guess, is... Uh, so my last name is Badger. And the best that we can tell, we come from people who sold badger pelts in Scotland and England. And mm. so... Not the most exciting uh, ancestral heritage there, but you, on the other hand, have a very exciting ancestral heritage because you are a direct descendant of Edgar Allan Poe. Is that correct? I'm a cousin. Cousin. Poe had no children. Oh, okay, right. So um, my great-great-grandfather was his cousin. Wow. Yeah. Man. Well, that's played a big part in your life, though, right? It has played an interesting part. Yeah. Um, it's opened lots of doors because... Mm-hmm. Um, Poe is one of the most famous Americans around the world, mm-hmm. and his picture is one that is recognized uh, all over the world. Right. So um, he opens doors. Yeah, absolutely. Were there? So I mean, you. Uh, so you're on the the foundation of. Uh, or on the board of the Edgar Allan Poe Foundation and Museum, is that right? Well, I served for ten years as president. Oh yes. wow! Okay, mm-hmm. so that's that's a lot more than just being on the board. Yeah. So that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you've dug deep into his life. I, I have. I've written a couple of books on Poe. Uh, one of which won the um, the Edgar Award from the Mystery Writers of America. Oh wow! Poe invented the mystery story. Yeah. Some people forget that that. Um, we would not have evening television in the United States without Poe's invention of, right. of the mystery. Um, what most people don't know is that Poe was on a spiritual journey mm-hmm. his entire adult life and that all of his stories, one way or another, are dealing with the questions he was asking. Mm-hmm. And most people don't know that he walked the sawdust trail six weeks before he died at a Sons of Temperance revival meeting. Wow. And um, so um, his con- his... Um, conversion experience was very similar to C.S. Lewis's mm-hmm. uh, almost 100 years later. The difference between Lewis and Poe is that uh, Poe did not write anything else after his conversion. Oh, okay. And Lewis wrote almost everything <laughs> right. after his conversion. Right. Um, so they're slightly different stories. But, um, uh, yeah, P- P- uh, Poe's... Poe was asking those hard questions mm-hmm. um, about the universe, reality, values mm-hmm. that Lewis would be asking in the 20th century. Right. Well, that's kind of a quite the contrast of the Edgar Allan Poe, I think, most people think of. I mean, because Yeah, most always... people know the Poe myth, this, this exactly. madman, drunken, drug, stupid, howling at the moon, mm-hmm. dark figure, when actually Poe was... Um, 
uh, mild-mannered um, uh, person with a good sense of humor, uh, smiling, lots of good friends. You wanted him at a party because he would, he and his wife would sing. She would play the piano. He would play the flute, and they would sing duets. And um, just a lovely couple. Um, his favorite kind of story was not horror. He hated horror stories. Oh, okay. And he only wrote a few. He wrote 75 stories. Uh, less than 10 of those are, are true horror stories. Right. And only wrote those because they paid well. Sure. Um, his favorite kind of story was a comedy. Mm-hmm. One third of his 75 stories are comedies, and a good share of those are romantic comedies. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes, the chick flick. The, the, the rom-com. Yes. You don't really expect that from then, me, Then the other two favorite stories, he invented the detective story, the mystery story. Yeah. So he liked that kind of story. And he did not invent science fiction, but the French call him the father of science fiction. Mary wow. Shelley invented science fiction with Frankenstein, but didn't mm-hmm. do much with it. Poe was the first one who really did something with it. So mm-hmm. he wrote a dozen or so science fiction stories. Oh, wow. And those became, seven of those, uh, Jules Verne turned into novels. Right. Uh, Jules Verne decided to write science fiction after reading Poe's mm-hmm. uh, science fiction. And so in all of those, he was exploring deep questions. Um, most people at some time or another in their life ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Mm-hmm. If there's a good, all-powerful, loving God, why is there suffering in the world? Mm-hmm. It's a valid question. Mm-hmm. Job asked the question. It was a question people asked in the days of Jesus. The Buddha was asking that question. Charles Darwin asked that question. Mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis asked that question. But it's usually more specific than the general uh, vague, why do good, bad things happen to good people? It's usually, as in C.S. Lewis's case, why did my mother die with cancer when I was nine? Right. With Charles Darwin, it was, why did my daughter die? Mm-hmm. With Poe, it was, why did my parents die mm-hmm. before I was two years old? Um, and so people ask this question. Most people leave it at that. Poe mm-hmm. and Lewis did not leave it at that. Poe then said, but there are other problems on the other side. Why is there love? And uh, he experienced love from Mm -hmm. his foster parents, from his aunt, from friends. Um, He experienced lots of love Mm -hmm. as well as loss. And here's the problem. In a brute um, universe existing of just matter, there are no values. Mm -hmm. There's no right or wrong. There's no uh, good or evil. There's no ugliness or beauty mm-hmm. there's just what is right and yet poe experienced love another problem was beauty why is there beauty there mm-hmm. shouldn't be there's just stuff and why is something beautiful mm-hmm. it's a huge problem poe poe realized and the the problem that uh, drove him to create the mystery story why is there justice mm this idea of right and wrong. And C.S. Lewis's um, uh, Mere Christianity, which was originally a radio broadcast, Mm -hmm. the first section of that is right and wrong as a clue to the meaning of the universe. Why is there justice? Why is there fairness? There shouldn't be. There's just what happens. Mm -hmm. So as soon as there's a value judgment, you've got a problem. Where does that come from? 
Right. And with the mystery story, when Poe invented the mystery story, it's a tricky little thing because the mystery story only works if the audience brings to the story the idea of justice. Mm -hmm. Because it's not in the story. The audience, whether you're watching a program on TV or reading a story, the audience wants to know, first of all, who did it. They want to know the truth. Right. And so then you've got the problem of the existence of an absolute value, Mm -hmm. truth. Um, The audience wants the innocent person set free. Mm-hmm. And so there's the justice. The audience has to care one way or the other. Right. And it's not um, a, a selfish thing. I care about me and my family and me getting justice in my family and a protective sense that, that Darwin would argue for or mm-hmm. Freud would argue for. Poe did something much cleverer with the mystery story because the person, the innocent person in the mystery story is no kin of me. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even exist. He's a fictional character. Right. So he's taken it out of the realm of any selfish motive to the pure motive of the reader demanding justice and where does the idea of justice come from. Right. And so for Poe, he became convinced that these values come from outside the physical world. They're coming at us from somewhere else. And yeah. some of his stories... Um, so he had his detective stories, but he also had some crime stories in which the universe, I'm going to put that in quotes because mm-hmm. we're really talking about God. Right, right. Poe is working his way toward God, sure. just like Lewis would. Something about the universe compels right and wrong. So um, one of his horror stories is really a crime story, um, The Telltale Heart, mm-hmm. in which the guilty man confesses to the police that he's committed a murder and it's the universe pressing in on his conscience compelling that uh, confession and eventually Poe's going to come to the point that it's not the physical universe mm-hmm. it's the spiritual universe meaning it's the creator right. God is God is acting on him and so um, in the end Poe got to that point that there there is a God who is a creator. Mm-hmm. And in 1848, he published a little book called Eureka. Most people have never heard of it. But in that book, um, he settled for himself that this universe is one that was created by God. Now, we mm-hmm. sort of take that for granted if we read the Bible and mm-hmm. know the Bible teaching. Um, but in 1848, science from the time of Aristotle over... 2,000 years earlier, Mm -hmm. had held that the universe has existed forever Mm -hmm. and is infinite in size. When I was in the seventh grade, my science textbook still taught that the universe is infinite in size Mm -hmm. and is eternal in duration, Mm -hmm. because that was what Aristotle said. That's not a biblical view, but that was the scientific view, um, long held. And Poe disagreed. And that's why they called him mad. He's a he's a madman. He disagrees with Aristotle. Mm-hmm. How can you disagree with Aristotle? Because Aristotle was um uh well uh, uh well you see um uh, <laughs> Aristotle right yeah. There's no rational reason yeah. for presuppositions and assumptions. And um, Poe solved it this way: um, you look at the night sky and it's dark, 
punctuated with little specks of light, the stars. Mm -hmm. That created a huge problem for the scientific world. For centuries, they had been troubled by the fact that the night sky was dark, and it was called uh, Olber's Paradox. Because here's, here's the problem. If there is an infinite number of stars, mm-hmm. um, do it this way. Take a white sheet of paper and put an infinite number of black dots on it. Mm-hmm. Soon, that white sheet of paper is going to be black. Right, right, completely black. Okay, this is the inverse. If you put an infinite number of specks of light in the sky, mm-hmm. then the sky should be light. Right. So why is the night sky dark? It perplexed wow. everybody. And yeah. Poe said the reason it's dark is because there's not an infinite number of stars. There's not an infinite universe. The universe has not gone on forever. Mm-hmm. It had a beginning. And it's like taking um, a shotgun with some bird shot and shooting it at the side of a barn. Mm-hmm. As it leaves the barrel, the shot begins to expand outward in a general symmetrical pattern. Right. And Poe said the stars have been shot into the, uh, have been shot outward mm-hmm. um, and distributed. So he said the universe had a beginning and it's going to have an end. And that was his um, scientific explanation right. for a creator. There has to be a creator. Right. In the course of all that, he, he had to come up with, uh, we now call it the Big Bang Theory. Mm-hmm. What Poe's theory is essentially what in the 20th century became the Big Bang Theory. Mm-hmm. But to make it work, he realized other things have to go on. So he also invented the basic ideas of relativity theory that Einstein would explain. He invented the basic ideas of chaos theory, which only wow. came into their own in the last quarter of the 20th century. He invented the basic ideas of uh, what we call uh, the quantum world, that is subatomic particles. Mm-hmm. They didn't know anything about that then. Madame Curie hadn't done her work yet. Mm-hmm. And so Poe was simply saying, once they are able to peer inside the atom, this is what they're going to have to find. And he said right. it was attraction and repulsion. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's coming up with all of these ideas all aim toward the idea there has to be a God. Right. And so he, he argued, well, like the psalm, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Mm-hmm. That convinced him that there's a God. Mm-hmm. The next year, the only way he could fit love and beauty into that universe was if, in fact, God is personal. Mm-hmm. Because love requires a personal God. There is no right. love in Buddhism or Hinduism. Mm-hmm. Uh, love requires a personal God. And um, so these were the deep questions that the gospel answers, mm-hmm. that uh, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, um, and God is love. Right. Um, God shows his love toward us in that this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's a concrete thing you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. You don't think of Poe the Apologist that's no, sure. no, and and he wasn't that either. He was he was like C.S. Lewis mm-hmm. prior to Lewis's conversion. So he right. wasn't doing po- apologetics. He was trying to figure things out. Right. Yeah. And um, the thing is, unfortunately, 
there weren't apologists like C.S. Lewis mm-hmm. to help C.S. Lewis or to help Edgar Allan Poe. Right. Um, and they, they had to, well, I say they had to figure it out. Um, I'm a supernaturalist. I believe mm-hmm. that a God exists who is beyond physical explanation mm-hmm. and that God draws us to himself. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, if somebody wants to know him, God himself is going to be sure he gets the answers. Right. Right. Yeah, man. So you said you mentioned that Poe was was kind of considered mad for some of these ideas. Mm-hmm. Did he face a lot of that? Like the, oh, yes. that ridicule from his oh, contemporaries? Oh yes, enormous, enormous. Yeah. Yes, because it was a crazy idea. Right. Absolutely crazy to think that the universe had a beginning. Yeah. No one had ever said that except the Bible and well, that's just a religious book. Who ta- right. who, who cares what it says? Right. It was not until the 20th century that um, we had physical evidence that, in fact, the universe had a beginning. Mm-hmm. And that rocked the scientific world. Yeah, it rocked the scientific world. But here's, here's the problem. Um, from an anthropological, historical point of view, mm-hmm. all the evidence of the ancient world, you know, the, the cycle of the seasons and the uh, cycle of the moon and... Uh, everything going around and around pointed to a cyclical view of the universe, which is nature, religion, mm-hmm. you know, birth, death, reincarnation, death, reincarnation, around and around and around we go. All the evidence pointed out that way. So how in the world did the Hebrews have this idea of a God who created the universe that it has a direction mm-hmm. from beginning to end. Right. It goes against all of the scientific evidence until the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that points to a supernatural origin yeah. to the Bible. Right. Um, right. That is, is hard to explain any other way than a supernatural explanation. Yeah, absolutely. So you kind of have, these days, you have some Christians who I think can... Um, and I've, I've met a couple, and I, I used to be this way, uh, you know, maybe like in high school and things like that, um, who have almost this fear of, of science and in, mm-hmm. in digging into the scientific world because they're afraid that their presuppositions about God are going to be proven false. So based on all of this, what would you say the Christian relationship to the scientific world really should be? Science does only one thing. It describes uh the world as it observes it. Mm-hmm. That's all it does. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really give explanations. It gives descriptions. Right. Now, philosophy gives explanations. Mm-hmm. And what people are often reacting against is not science. It's a naturalistic philosophy that has been laid on top of the science to give a particular twist to the observation. Mm-hmm. And that happens all the time. That's what you want to be vigilant about to recognize when it's happening. When is somebody switched from being a scientist to suddenly becoming a philosopher? Right. That happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, it is important for Christians to become aware of the difference between those two. As far as science, it describes creation. Right. Um, and it is impossible for science 
to contradict scripture because God made it. Mm-hmm. God made what science studies. So, so science is not the bogeyman. Right. But philosophy, Aristotle was a philosopher. Mm-hmm. Philosophy can and regularly does conflict with scripture. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can, I feel like you kind of see that in the um, the new atheism movement. Yeah. Uh, where people, you have people like Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, all these guys who are, um, it seems like they're taking science a step further than what it can actually do. Exactly. Yeah. Science does not talk about non-physical phenomenon. Right. Right. It's uh, just like you cannot measure temperature with a yardstick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Science cannot talk about God. Right. Right. It just can talk about what God has made. Yeah. Absolutely. So in that vein um, of it not being able to quantify the supernatural, what would you say to someone who was coming at you saying that the Bible is just a book full of, of myths because science has proven that, um, that miracles are, are impossible? Um, I would say they don't know very much about science. <laughs> they don't know much about myth. They don't know anything about the Bible. Um, because one thing that science has done is demonstrated, demonstrated that intelligence can interfere with the laws of nature. Right. Um, And we take it so for granted we don't realize it, we don't notice Mm it. But science itself interferes with the laws of nature. It's the only way you can do a scientific experiment. And um, in in fact, this is... um, Uh, a a major feature of 20th century science, the idea that doing an experiment affects the outcome. Mm -hmm. That um, the whole idea of a laboratory is to, in a sense, cut off as many of the forces of nature as possible. Mm -hmm. And so you can have a local incident that is something within this room that is contrary to what's actually happening in nature. Let me give an example. Most of your listeners right now are sitting in rooms that have um, electricity and artificial light. So that at nighttime, it should be dark in your house, but we have so contrived, interfered with nature, not violating any laws of nature, Mm -hmm. but so manipulating nature, that um, a situation exists locally inside your room mm-hmm. that it's light at midnight. Right. And not only that, it can be 17 degrees uh, Fahrenheit outside in January and 70 degrees inside mm-hmm. locally. And we take, we take it so for granted we don't realize what's actually happening the universe is designed in such a way to allow for interference, manipulation, alteration, contrivance. I mean, we can fly to the moon for crying out loud, mm-hmm. uh, which is um, not so much a violation of the laws of gravity because it's it's more like rock, paper, scissors. You know that game where one thing trumps another? Yeah. And, um, you know, gravity says object is supposed to fall, but 
We also know about barometric pressure and about wind and resistance that fast-moving air creates less pressure mm-hmm. so that a wing with enough speed will rise mm-hmm. even though by gravity it should fall. Right. And so it's that there's this incredible interaction of the way the universe works that makes science possible. Mm-hmm. And I simply say that I think God is at least as smart as I am. Right. <laughs> and that um, involvement, I, I prefer to say involvement uh-huh. rather than interference, God is involved in the universe. And it's not that he comes in from time to time and then leaves and does something else. God has never left his involvement in the mm. universe. We um, There's a tendency in science and religion to talk about God as this uh, amorphous, deistic, single deity. But as a Christian, I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And in the opening verses of the Bible, the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the deep, and he's never stopped doing that. He is present everywhere throughout the universe, from the tiniest subatomic particle uh, to the greatest galaxy mm-hmm. and everywhere in between and um, that means he's also uh, involved in the affairs of people and in the course of history and thus the universe has a direction mm-hmm. from simplicity to complexity to the beginning to the end right right wow man so you kind of touched on this a little bit before when you're talking about um, some of Poe's work um, but there are some uh, atheists and secular humanists who kind of now have said that, you know, God is no longer needed to have a, a successful society or even have a moral society. Um, and uh, you, I, I think people kind of get that accusation a lot. Uh, a mm-hmm. lot of Christians do. So yes. how, would, how would you kind of answer that? Well, I don't know of any example of a successful society or a moral Society, can you think of anything going on right now in the world today that you would call a moral society that is not governed by a divine mandate? I, mm-hmm. I can't think of any in human history. I'm, I'm drawing a, a blank good, myself. I'm a pretty good follower of, of human history. I love history. But um, what I see is that every civilization has collapsed and usually on moral failure mm-hmm. as they've um, become spiritually anemic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't see any basis for morality apart from, well, what Lewis and Poe both noticed. There's com- something coming at us from the outside. Mm-hmm. As far as a social contract, the Nazis had a social contract. Mm-hmm. And their social contract conflicted with the teachings of God. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anytime that you take God out of the equation or take some sort of objective moral standard that is outside yourself, I mean, you're just left up, you're you're left in creating your own standard of morality. Mm -hmm. Um, And like you said, you see that play out all throughout history. I mean, especially during um, the, the 20th century. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it just it doesn't work. No, it's never worked. Mm-hmm. It's never worked, and we've got plenty of evidence that it doesn't work. Right, right, absolutely. Um, so I guess a, a, another claim that is 
probably one that everyone is familiar with is uh, is the God of the Gaps. Is yes. this claim that uh, well, you only believe in God because you can't think of a, a better reason, so you just you know throw God in the gap there and then call mm-hmm. it good. Mm-hmm. So how would you kind of answer that? Well, it's it's interesting um, that that argument because that that term God of the Gaps was not invented by atheists. Uh-huh. It was invented by an Oxford professor of chemistry who, oddly enough, was named Charles Coulson. Oh. But he spelled <laughs> his name slightly differently. Right. It was C-O-U-L-S-O-N. And I think it was in the 1950s or 1940s. He was uh-huh. giving a lecture in North Carolina, of all yeah. places. And he was criticizing the atheists, or at least the deists, mm-hmm. Who don't want to deal with God, and so they, they say they relegate God to those parts of uh, science that w- for which we don't have any explanation, and say, well, God does that part, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so that's the God of the gaps. And to to that, he said, well, no, that's silly. God is just as involved in everything we can explain mm-hmm. as he's involved in what we can't explain. Um, there are no gaps. Um, he is involved in history. He is involved in. Um, he, he, here's the here's the problem with the universe. First of all, that there is a universe. Mm-hmm. Why is there something rather, rather than, than nothing? nothing. Right. A, that's a big. That's a, a a huge problem. And the universe. To talk about the universe, we have to use numbers. Numbers mm-hmm. are the uh, math is the language of science. And here's the enormous problem for mathematicians, and this drives them crazy. Why does math work? Mm-hmm. And, you know, for those of us who started in the first grade, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, um, you know, we just have a few digits. There are other systems that have 12, mm-hmm. some that have five. Computers just have two. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different ways to do math. But all of them work. Right, right. Um, And so why is it that numbers correspond to the universe? It's a a huge problem Mm -hmm. that that you think, well, of course they do. But why do they? It's it's enormous. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, this is called metaphysics Mm -hmm. that is it's more than just the physical universe there's something beyond over just the physical universe going on and math is one of those pointers to the fact that there's something mysterious about the universe that permeates the whole universe there Mm -hmm. are no gaps there are no gaps right man you just actually made me like math for the first time. So that's a, that's a big accomplishment right yeah. there. So, well, do you think that's the biggest question is it for, for atheists? Is that why? I mean, you can... No, every atheist that I've gotten into a lengthy discussion with, their problem goes back to why do bad things happen to good people? Right. It's always a hard And issue, the right? rest of it, and that's true of Dawkins. Yeah. Um, it goes back to that. There are all sorts of rationalizations mm-hmm. about everything else that aren't really the big issue for them. Right. And you remember the woman uh, at the well? Um, she wanted to get into a discussion with Jesus about the, which is the right uh, mountain to worship on. Mm-hmm. And we can get into all sorts of debates like that, but that wasn't 
her yeah. real question. And Jesus bore in and said, oh, oh, look, lady, God's a spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't care what mountain you worship on. But here's, here's the thing. Um, here's the thing. You, your heart has to be changed. Yeah. Uh, there's something wrong with you. I can give you a water uh, that you'll never thirst again. I can give you a water that wells up to eternal life. And so um, often in these debates, we wind up getting distracted Mm -hmm. from what the real question is behind all the talk. Yeah, yeah. And for, for many people, not all, not all, for many people, it's it's it gets back to um, the problem of suffering. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Anthony Flew, who was the great philosopher of religion of the 20th century, who was an atheist, mm-hmm. who used to go to Lewis's lectures when he was an uh, Oxford student, didn't believe in God, didn't believe in God. And for um, over 50 years, he kept revising his book on philosophy of religion. Mm-hmm. And then... The beginning of the 21st century, as an old man, he said, oh, I've changed my mind. There is a God. Yeah. And he right. was persuaded, for him, he was persuaded by the design of the universe. The mm-hmm. design features of the universe, just to him, it could not have been by chance, which again is mathematics. Mm-hmm. What's probability? What's right. the probability that all of this, the intricacy of the universe is is purely by chance. He said, nah, the math's against it. There has to be a God. Mm-hmm. And so different people with different questions. But yeah. a lot of the atheists um, have taken that option because in, for an odd reason, it lets God off the hook. Mm-hmm. And so you don't blame him for letting suffering take place. And it's a it's a very strange thing that... that um, and I, I talked to a man who who was Jewish by heritage, was not a practicing Jew. He was an atheist. Mm-hmm. But if there's not a God, then God didn't let the Jews die in the Holocaust. Right, and you don't have to rationalize and that so in your mind. And so in a, in, a, in a very strange way, mm-hmm. he's protecting God. Right. And that's a, a very complicated emotional thing that's going on. Yeah. Um, but you'll find that going on too, mm-hmm. and so it's it's you have to listen, you have to talk with people, and just listen, and trust the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. to make you aware of what's what's really going on. It doesn't happen in a moment. It doesn't happen in one conversation. Right. Usually, I mean, sometimes it did. It it, it can. It has. Mm-hmm. I, in my own experience, it has. But don't be impatient. Right. Yeah. That's a that's a, an important thing, and that's one of the things that uh, that I've I've learned a lot with you know Ravi Zacharias trying to. Uh, Answer the like you just like you said. Answer the the question by or the questioner behind the question. Yeah. And more often than not, there's there's always just like this deep heart issue, like you said. Um, and the the trick is to try to you know bridge the the mind to the heart and try yes. to figure out what it yes. is that that uh, yes. the heart issue is yes. really going on there. You're absolutely right. Yeah. 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 So how I mean, you kind of gave some advice already, but but how do you navigate that? Like for the for the Christian, they're kind of sitting there thinking that, you know, this is a a militant guy. He's he seems angry. Like what do you what do you do to try to open up those avenues of conversation? Be nice to him. Yeah. 
That's pretty easy. There you go. That's you know, Jesus Jesus laid it out pretty pretty simple. Yeah. Uh love people. Um talk to them about your own experience. Mm-hmm. Um and then you've got a context in which you can have deeper conversation. Right. Yeah. Um Americans today will talk forever about the sort of thing we're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. Americans are really interested in religion, even if they're atheists. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they do not want to do is get in an argument. We are at a point in which Americans, it's an odd thing, will rail away on the Internet and on Facebook and social media about the other side. But one-on-one, mm-hmm. Americans really hate conflict. Right. And so um, they don't want to debate, but they'll talk with you about mm-hmm. it endlessly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that can be uh, sometimes a, a danger for me in my own life because I've kind of seen the more I you know, have studied apologetics and all that kind of stuff, I, I start shoving my mind with all of these facts yeah. and informations. And yeah. then when I actually have these conversations, instead of, like you said earlier, instead of listening to the actual questions they have, I kind of presuppose yeah. their own their questions and like, oh, this guy probably thinks this, so I'm going to shove the conversation yeah. in this way. Do you think that's a danger that we can it, follow? It into? is. It is. Well, if you're trying to second guess people, you'll usually guess wrong. I mean, you, right. it's like playing the horses, uh, you know, at the racetrack, or yep. or worse than that, timing the stock market. Right. Um, yeah. uh, so, but let the con- if you if you'll if you'll talk to people and follow the conversation mm-hmm. they will tell you what their issue is right um and if you realize it isn't on you to know everything and to know all the answers but that in fact jesus promised that when the holy spirit came he would guide us into all truth he would call mm-hmm. to our remembrance things concerning him and he would give us words to speak right i can testify to the reality of that it is a supernatural business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so do study to show yourself approved, a workman not needing to be ashamed, mm-hmm. rightly dividing the word of truth. So do that. Stay in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, know your Bible. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. Know your Bible. Pray so that you know Christ and are uh, accustomed to hearing his voice speak to you in, in daily life. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, throw yourself <laughs> into the storm, right? And uh, trust His mercy to, to that you don't have to do it. Right. You don't have to convince somebody. Only mm-hmm. the, uh, the God really does reserve the prerogative of saving people. Right. Um, Jesus said, "When the Holy Spirit comes, He will reprove the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment." So that lets us off the hook. We don't have to do that. Yeah, it's a burden off my shoulders. Yeah, it sure. really so. is. I mean, it's just oh, what a relief! I don't have to do that. Right. Yeah. All we have to really do is is listen. Yeah. And um. And the, the response will come. May not be the convincing proof. Doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. We're just one little thing that the Lord is using. In bringing people to him, mm-hmm. and um, and they don't have to be convinced in that moment because once the idea is there, well, for Lewis it took it took thirteen years. Mm-hmm. It takes 
takes a while. Right. Um, but, hey, God has all the time in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about, I guess, primarily atheism in, in this conversation. But this, this next question doesn't really necessarily have to you know deal with atheism. It can deal with other worldviews, too. But do you see certain pitfalls, I guess, with uh, conversations with atheists that Christians usually fall into or, or even other worldviews as well? That's kind of common. Well, I think, um, yes, we've we've been pampered the last thousand years uh, living in a society in which uh, the God of the Bible was assumed. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't believe in God, it was the God of the Bible you didn't believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, we now live in a world, uh, I mean, in the United States, where... People are religious. They're sort of like the Athenians in Acts chapter 17. Mm-hmm. Paul said, well, y'all are really religious. They weren't faithful. Uh, and the King James says they were superstitious. Mm-hmm. But that's really where Americans are. And so you cannot assume what somebody is thinking and that they're consistent in their beliefs. Um, so... Um, Somebody might say, I'm a Buddhist. They probably aren't. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Buddhism, you know, this deeply sophisticated, integrated understanding of the world um, isn't something you pick up in a couple of years mm-hmm. or on a trip to California. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's Americans. We, we want um, instant coffee and we want... Um, uh, McDonald's in 30 seconds and mm-hmm. um, uh, who cares if if we don't really know anything about our religion mm-hmm. we, it's just the latest fad right and right. so um, so yeah I think being careful not to assume too much when people make statements yeah. and just just listen to them explain in, in a sense what you're wanting them to do is share their testimony mm-hmm. about who they are and what they believe and why, which gives us the privilege of sharing our testimony. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a debate or an argument. It's a, well, here's, here's, here's where I'm coming from. This is what I believe and why. And mm-hmm. Peter said, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why everybody has a unique testimony. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, well... I've got I got one last question for you, and this is something that I was I was personally curious about. So I was I was kind of reading through your bio on on Union University website, and I see that you've written seventeen books, uh, I've written like two hundred articles. Um, you're on these different boards and things like that. Um, so do you have time to to, to not have fun? Because I'm sure that you enjoy doing those things. But what do you do to just kind of kick back and relax? I have fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a funny thing. Um, I guess I've learned uh, some discipline, yeah. and the more you write, the easier it is to write. Sure. And I tend to write from the overflow. Mm-hmm. And so I teach college students who have ideas and questions, and what I've learned over the years is as soon as I have an idea, I've got to write it down or it'll be gone. Right. Yeah. And so uh, 17, well, actually, I'm working on number 19 now are all from the overflow that is of preparation for class, talking with students, um, 
preaching many Sundays when yeah. I get an invitation. Right. Um, regular Bible study, and questions come up, and answers just click mm-hmm. if you've been doing your regular uh, uh, work. So I mm-hmm. don't know. It's never been onerous. That's always sort of been the easy part. The, good, yeah. The the writing, but yeah, I have a good time. Well, good. That's good. Yeah, because yeah. I was just wondering if you if you like had a hobby. Because I wasn't sure you you didn't necessarily strike me as like kind of like a. You know, doing the hopscotch for fun or anything like that. Oh yeah, I've, I've, my problem probably is I have too many hobbies. Oh you know, really? I like I like to do woodwork. I like to work in the yard. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I like history. Love movies. Um, oh goodness, I love oh the mountains and the beach. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. To, entirely. <laughs> too many, right. too many things yeah. out there. But um, I also work hard. Yeah, and right. so I get to the office early and and work late every mm-hmm. day. I'm in town, mm-hmm. and uh, you buckle down, and you can be very productive. Mm-hmm. So that's, I guess that's how I've done it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, Doctor Poe, thank you again. So much for doing this. This was well, amazing. Thank you so, for inviting me. This has been a great conversation. I've yeah, enjoyed it. Me too. Me too. And I and I, I know the listeners will enjoy it as well. So, well, thank you again so much. And I hope to have you back sometime. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Truth for Doubt discussion series. If you would like to know how you could support the Truth for Doubt ministry, please go to truthfordoubt.com give or visit our Patreon page at patreon.com t4d.